Hi listeners, just a little warning at the beginning of this podcast with Kyle Perry. We discuss drug and alcohol addiction and childhood traumas. So if this is upsetting to you, it can be sensitive material. So please take care. Danny, Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe... You put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day. And, I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well That's done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could have edited that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> 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 It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny B. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Kyle Perry, who has been sort of on the Words and Nerds podcast with Ben's Burgers, Beers and Books spin-off series. But I haven't actually spoken to Kyle Perry myself, so I'm very excited to finally have him here with me. His debut novel, The Bluffs, has been translated into five languages. It was shortlisted for the Dimmick's Book of the Year and the Indies Debut Fiction Book of the Year and was longlisted for the Australian Book Industry Awards General Fiction Book of the Year. Today, we're going to talk about The Deep. Welcome, Kyle. Thanks for having me, Danny. Good to be here. It's great to finally speak to you. I listened to your interview with Ben. It was just amazing. Ben's doing such a great job. You just feel like you're at the pub, don't you? You feel like you're at the pub <laughs> with a burger and a beer. So it's yeah. got a great vibe. So, um, yeah, I loved that interview. It was one of my favourites. Now, I know that everyone loves to give me an elevator pitch. So <laughs> can, you, can you hit me with an elevator pitch for your new book, The Deep? Fun fact for your listeners, the, the author, <laughs> authors are are divided right down the middle between those of us who love ele elevator pitches and those of us who hate them. Kyle, I actually think everyone hates them, to be honest. <laughs> I think they're not divided at all. I think everyone hates them and yet I still ask for them. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. I feel like that means you're choosing the good writers for this podcast. <laughs> no. Um, all right, elevator pitch. So, The Deep. Um, the Deep is mainly about a guy called Mac, who is um, the youngest son of a drug 
dynasty, drug dealing dynasty set on the east coast of Tasmania. And so where the story finds Mac to begin with is he's just completed a stint in prison. He's now out on bail. He's got very strict bail conditions. He's trying to get his life back um, and he's uh, not doing a great job of it. He's a bit of an outcast, doesn't have many prospects and no one in the town likes him. Where the story kicks off is his nephew, 13-year-old Forrest, washes up on the local beach. Forrest has been missing for the last seven years along with his parents. Um, Forrest is the heir to the whole drug uh, dynasty. And then that kicks off the story as Mac tries to find out what happened to Forrest, where has he been, and what does this mean for the family and the town? Wowza. What a thriller. What a great elevator pitch. I don't know why you hate him. That was perfect. <laughs> Stop so it. So good. <laughs> <laughs> it was like I was reading the blurb at the back of the book. <laughs> <laughs> I should have just done that. I should have just read the blurb out. I'll do that next time. <laughs> now, this, your second book set in Tasmania again. Was this always going to be the case for you? Did you have any doubt? Did you think about setting it anywhere else or is it Tassie all the way? Tassie all the way. Um, genu- I was actually thinking about this the other day, Danny. There was never a moment in any of the contract discussions, in any of my brainstorming, where I ever considered basing either of my books anywhere but Tasmania. And I had the same, I'm currently hard at work on my third book, and I had the exact same process with that. I'm like, of course it's in Tassie. Wow. Um, So it's interesting now uh, kind of reflecting on it and realising that not... I don't know. It just seems a little bit odd that I didn't even consider basing it anywhere else. But anyway, I'm happy with it. <laughs> yeah, I love that, though, because it just means that that's totally right for you. You had the story in your head and it wasn't up for debate. Like, I love that. Like, it's, it's that's where it is. Yeah, and, I mean, Tassie just has so much going for it in terms of a good setting for a thriller. Yeah. And part of that is just uh, that sense of isolation that Tassie carries so well, not only just the isolation of being an island, um, and before Ed, sorry, my cat's going to come along. Oh, that's all right. I like cats interrupting. <laughs> um, uh, so not just the isolation of being on an island, but also the, we've got real treacherous waters around Tassie. Mm-hmm. So before air travel, it was actually kind of dangerous to get here. And then we add in the, um, the, the mass of um, national parks that's all over the island, which just kind of makes that sense of, of looming landscape menace so much more um, Sorry, your listeners can't see my cats just walking back and forth on top of me trying to get comfortable. Right. We are now just going to welcome the cat to the podcast. What's the cat's name, Kyle? This is Margot. I am super excited to welcome Margot the cat to the Words and Nerds podcast. Has Margot written a book yet or has she got one on the cards? No, but she's definitely more famous than me. <laughs> <laughs> Case in point, here she is. <laughs> I forget what you were talking about. Tasmania. That's I was right. talking, Tasmania. yeah, look, um, what was I saying? Yeah, yeah, I don't know, isolation landscape. Yeah, yeah, Tassie. no, totally. Yeah. And it's actually really refreshing from a reader's perspective. I mean, I know Tasmania's become a bit popular in terms of as a setting, particularly for crime, and I think that's the reason why. But I like it because we've read, you know, you love the rurals, you love the, the city crimes, but it's nice to take away crime to somewhere else as well. And the other day I was talking to someone about... Um, was it Sunshine Noir? Was it Sunshine Noir? So, um, yeah. What is that? Like, that is um, crime set in places like Byron Bay or Vegas or, um, you know, like your CSI Miami. It's like, isn't that cool? Sunshine Noir. That is awesome. Right? What's a good What's a good example of something? I'm gonna, I need to go read some of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was talking to um, Lisa Walker. It's a YA book. Um, Trouble is my business. 
Okay. And and she was saying that. So that's pretty cool, right? That's cool. I'm going to look yeah. that up. Thank you. Now, okay, this is going to freak you out. Have you ever heard of breastfeeding noir? <laughs> <laughs> well, funnily you mentioned that. Here I've got a copy. No, I've never heard of that. <laughs> Me neither until I interviewed someone from Fremantle Press and apparently it's a thing. It is not a thing. It is a thing. What is, is a, thing. What is that? <laughs> it's, it's like, from my understanding, crime, <laughs> crime written like straight after like post-birth, like oh. a crime novel set post-birth. Like that. <laughs> I mean, I really feel like a, like that's the perfect name for it. Bre- I was breast was a breastfeeding breastfeeding noir. noir. I'd love that. No, I'm <laughs> I'm adding that to the list probably after I find some sunshine noir. But that's a great. I mean, like, like now I'm thinking about it. There's a that's a good premise. Like you'd have to do a lot of research if you're not if you've never been a mum. But yes, yes. So sunshine noir it is. So get on it. Anyway, well, oh. let's get back to you, Kyle. Let's okay. You. We let's got distracted by um, sunshine and breastfeeding. I mean, it was a good distraction. I'm very, I'm genuinely <laughs> intrigued. <interested> in yeah. <laughs> now I want to know how do you research a drug ring? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, funny, funny you ask that. <laughs> so my day job. At the time of writing The Deep was I was a case manager and counsellor in a drug and alcohol rehab program, residential rehab, and it was a men's program. uh, And I, so I was, my only clientele was um, men. And this was a really, this was a great job. It was, it was the hardest job I've ever done, but it was definitely probably my, my favorite, my best, just because of all of the the incredible uh, richness to each day, um, the excitement, the adrenaline, the tears, the trauma, the triumphs, all of it just kind of wrapped up. And each day, from the moment I walked in the door at 8.30, there were high-stakes decisions being made um, because in those kind of environments, um, there's a real... I don't know, like little little decisions have far-reaching consequences. Yeah. And so with that came daily conversations with people who use drugs, with men who use drugs. And these conversations took the form of counselling conversations. And in a counselling conversation, you're given a really unique insight into people's worlds. Um, it's, a, it's a privilege not many people are afforded. And during these conversations, I learned a lot about how the world works for people from, I don't want to say that side of the tracks because it, it's a bit, you know, kind of puts people into one bucket, but from people who have experience in that world, I, I learned a lot about the shape of the world, um, underlying forces, the reality of how drugs intersects with my life and um, lives of people you wouldn't even realise. Anyway, so so what, what came from that was a richness of emotion, which I really wanted to explore in the deep because there's so many emotions attached to drug use. There's so many emotions att- attached to how trauma leads to drug use or even just, um, you know, non-problematic drug use, how that affects us. There's people out there who use drugs who are, who are quite happy, quite functioning, and they will do for the rest of their lives. It was a fascinating, um, just a reality I was faced with. At the end of one of these conversations uh, with one of the lads, 
we'd had this really deep conversation about his life as a drug dealer and uh, he had you know high engagements with a, like a, a drug outfit it really gave me this great idea for the book so that was the first inception and so following that the research flowed quite organically in these mm -hmm. conversations i'd have with not only him but other um, clients because they always wanted to offer me any i'd answer any question i wanted <laughs> um and so i had to you know obviously i was i was pretty good at not doing it in the middle of a counseling session but you know i was always asking questions when i could i had some other more um oh, hey margo's back hey get off hi margo she's our third guest i'll ask her a question in a minute <laughs> <laughs> she'll sell me out won't you you try um and so then aside from that though through these relationships i had with these these really incredible individuals i made more friends with um, people with similar experiences and i was spending more time just um yeah, building friendships with with people i'd never built friendships with before and during these situations i found myself in a number of very unique <laughs> circumstances and one of those um was i went to go pick up a friend of mine who was having a bit of a rough night and he's, he called me up he's like oh this is going on um and i said are you okay he said oh, i'm okay but it could be better and i said well where are you i'll come pick you up and he's like no no don't do that i'm he was at he was at a he was at a building that has strong affiliations with certain organizations mm -hmm. and i said oh, i'll come get you he said no no you can't come out here and then he he kind of changed his mind he said actually yeah no come out here i'll introduce you to my friends out here <laughs> i said great cool send me the address i'll be there be there soon so i went out there and then i pulled out the front and then he sent me a text he said don't come in i'll come out to you he comes out and then he walks me in past like i reckon three levels of security <laughs> the big gate the dogs and the... Wow. anyway we go in there and it's just exactly what you'd picture exactly what you'd wow. picture. terrifying no, I loved it. I was, you loved it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like... Did they swear you to secrecy or something? And No, no, they... And, um, <laughs> but I walked in there to the back and then I was just sitting on the couch and having a chat with this guy and then, like, they had the smart TV on and they started, like, we started sharing funny YouTube videos. This is, like, 1 a.m., I reckon. Mm. And then later on, I realised that he was, like, the boss, you know, was the leader of the... Wow. <laughs> and we're just there, like sharing funny videos it was it was good but i mean what i should stress is that it's my job to to know how to relate to people from all sides of mm -hmm. life and, and mm -hmm. i had spent a long time working with people in this so like i don't i was never worried for myself mm -hmm. because i know how that world works i know that i'm not part of it i was just there to pick up a mate and they know they, they appreciate me they appreciate the fact that i care about people yeah. who are trying to get out um, but it definitely, it helped add a bit more of, of uh, I guess, humanity um, to what I was trying to achieve in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, because what, what I've done with both my books, and it, it's not necessarily intentional, but it kind of is, is that in my first book, The Bluffs, Murphy is pretty much the heart of the story. And he's a weed dealer. And in um, The Deep, Mac is the heart of the story and he's, you know, an ice dealer. <sighs> And, and I wanted to reframe the way that people who use drugs are seen because mm -hmm. honestly, people who use drugs aren't always these horrible criminal types. Sometimes they're just really good businessmen or they've stumbled into it or they've just sort of they've grown up with. And I think there's a, it's a richness to that which mm -hmm. belongs in fiction. Sure. 
Absolutely. And it's going against the stereotypes and, and painting them as real people, you know, not just the people that you see on TV or in, you know, in cliches. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Now Which for makes you, a good story. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I imagine at times that job that you did, your day job was quite tough and, and quite, you know, wearing sometimes. Did you find writing about it cathartic in any way? Absolutely. hundred percent, Daddy. I think the, the catharsis and the, um, it almost empowered me to feel emotions during the day more deeply than I otherwise would have done. Wow. Because part of the the armour you wear as a counsellor or as any form of, of drug and alcohol worker is it's such a bleak sector. It's such a... Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite hard to to see much hope sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so to be sustainable, to... to make it through to the end of the day you've got to almost disengage yourself from what you're truly feeling because yeah. it's just not healthy there's not nothing you can do about with those feelings they're not helpful yeah. but as a writer i could kind of feel those emotions i mean like, oh man like that's devastating and then i'd i'd, I'd remember the taste of that I, re- I remember the shape of how that felt in my body and i'd go home and i could put that onto the page and it was um you know, it's, it's almost a debriefing moment. It's, so it's quite like clinical supervision in wow. itself because it, it helped me um, just have a purpose for it. Because if you have a purpose for it and you can and you can take it away from from that bleak, there's no hope in the world mentality, I mean, that's all you really need to be sustainable. Mm. Oh, that's incredible. I'm glad I asked that because I, th- I thought that, you know, I thought putting it on the page, you know, the counsellor needs that, you know, time as well to debrief or to decompress all those mm-hmm. emotions that you're feeling, you know, or hearing about at least. It must be tricky sometimes. 100%. Now, the book is, I think books about families are so intriguing because, you know, people are born into these families and it doesn't mean they get along, doesn't mean they understand each other, doesn't mean they like each other. How do family dynamics intrigue you and, and why was it important for you to explore? Well, that's such a good question because I don't, I don't know. I don't remember why I even really emphasised the family element. It, mm-hmm. I think it just kind of sprung up because... I've been asked this question a couple of times about the family dynamic and how it's such an important part of the book, and it is. Um, but the more I get asked it, the more I think, man, where did it even come from? Because <laughs> um, I don't really, I don't particularly like those kind of books. Okay. I don't have much. I didn't think like my family's awesome, but not necessarily that big. I never, I've never really had much experience. But I think one thing that would have come across is that in uh, my work, I realized that family is not always there for these people. Mm-hmm. We've got this really Disney um, mindset, a lot of us, not everyone, but I definitely did. I was quite sheltered and very lucky. This kind of Disney mindset that family will always be there, family won't let you down, family's got your back, family has your best interest at heart, even though people screw up all the time, of course, but at the end of, end of the day, you would think that their heart's in the right place. And yet what I found um, is that for a significant portion of the men I worked with, their family was a leading contributing factor to what had caused them to walk down this road. Like I heard horrible wow. stories about mums, horrible mums that, that oh, yeah, like, yeah, torturous, torturous stories. I, I was wow. about to give some examples, but they're probably a bit too identifying for my clients. Mm, but, but I realised that, oh, wow, there's not everyone's family, mm. some, some people's families are actively working against them. And I thought 
that was something that was relevant to the theme of the book, relevant to the uh, the story of the book, and definitely relevant to what I wanted to explore in terms of the drug and alcohol sector. Mm. Well, it's really interesting how you said it because you're right. You know, you have that sort of blood is thicker than water kind of cliche that goes around, but sometimes mm. families can can be you know quite destructive to you. Mm, 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 mm. And like like horrifically destructive. Mm. Mm. Because that's, there's an expectation, isn't it? You know, and I've read this before that, you know, people feel like if their mother doesn't love them, well, how can anybody love them? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And as a kid, um, so I'm, like one of my one of my clients, um, we, we worked together for a long time and, and all of his trauma had started because of his mum essentially locking him in his room, um, would, would physically assault him if he tried to leave. Um, he couldn't even go out to use the toilet, so he had to use whatever was in his room and just beat him down from, like, early, early age. And he's, you know, we, we're decades later trying to unravel, trying just to find some some glimmer of hope in the way he sees himself. Mm. And it's just... It's, and how do you unravel that? Like, it, it's almost... You can't, can you? It's... There's... You can... There's always hope. Yeah. But it's... It's very difficult mm. um, it, and it's very difficult for a range of contributing factors. And, and one of those is the fact that what society does to people once they, you know, once someone's labelled as an addict, society writes them off. Yeah. And so if you've got someone who's, who's searching for um, a sense of self-worth and they've, they've turned to a substance to help you regulate, because of course they have, once they decide not to use the substance anymore, they, they can't find any self-worth because society's like, oh, well, you know, you already, you, we've got nothing to give you, bro, because you've, you've yeah. demonstrated you, you don't belong. Yeah, society's tough on people, I think. I was having this conversation the other day, particularly with social media. Like, if you make a public mistake, it's so easy to be defined by that public mistake, even though that's one moment in the million moments you've had in your life. And I'm not talking big, huge mistakes that are, you know, terrible. Mm. I'm just talking like mistakes that you've made that probably weren't great, but didn't actually cause great harm to people. Let's clarify that. Um, <laughs> but you know, that, that, you know, it's a scary sort of thought that because of, you know, the internet and social media and things that one moment can define you for a very long time. Yeah, I think, I, th I think there's a difference between that because I feel like that's quite a, sh a small proportion and, and people at the moment are quite addicted to this altar of outrage. They mm, want to sacrifice yes. people on this yes. altar Cancel of outrage. people. Yeah, because yeah. it makes them feel good and they feel like they've got some moral ground and, and a lot of people have felt disempowered for so long. So now they've got the power of words and social media to get this, this mob group thing. It's ridiculous. And I, I hope that we move away from it soon. I hope it dies out, you know, kind of mm. like all the other trends. Um, whereas the the flip side, the, the hope in that is that I'm talking about stigma to about drug and alcohol, but that's actually improving. We're, okay, we're seeing cool. we're seeing demonst demonstratively we're seeing improvement in the way that people who use drugs and alcohol are seeing. Mm -hmm. And I've witnessed that even over the last few years. Wow. Like, like I talk about my clients and there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of people respond quite, you know, compassionately, which when I first started out, I didn't see that mm, as much. That's interesting. I'll, why the shift? Why it's well, a positive shift? I'm interested in why and how. Yeah, I, th I think it. I think it's definitely. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, What's your me, theory? <laughs> I mean, definitely. Um, social media media is playing into it. 
um, because there is a greater emphasis on um, the whole story now mm -hmm. in some parts. I mean, we just talked about this order of outrage, which doesn't do that. But I guess um, people have always championed the underdog. Yeah, and and true. with and with the fact that there's this great um, leveling, you know, unifying, equalizing factor now, um, people really want to champion the underdog. They really mm -hmm. want to be like, all right, you had a tough life. We want to help you as much as we can. And what we can do to contribute to that is just say kind things, or mm -hmm. be open, or mm -hmm. use our words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Now, Chris Hammer said that your novel is a fast-paced thriller that twists and turns again. Kyle Perry can sure spin a mighty tale. How does that feel when someone of Chris Hammer's calibre says that about your novel? Is it kind of surreal? Very surreal. It's very surreal. You, you, <laughs> it's almost, you, you, honestly, you, there's weird emotions tangled up in it, Danny. And one of those is you feel almost a little bit indecent even reading it. You're like, oh, I, I'll, I'll cover that. I don't want to read that. Um, but that being said, I mean, imposter syndrome was massive for me with the bluffs because uh, the bluffs just came, like no one expected the bluffs to be as successful as it was. You know, it just came out of nowhere, put me on the map in a very big way, changed my life. I'm so happy. And then releasing the deep, um, I was pretty convinced I would let everyone down. <laughs> Um, partly because it's imposter syndrome, partly because I just was like, I'm, I can't recreate the deep. I mean, the bluffs, I can't. How am I going to do that again? Yeah. And then the, the deep come, has come out and it seems to be getting even better reviews. It has. It's getting better reviews than the bluffs mm. did. And, and now I've turned a corner where now I'm a little bit more settled in it. I can live in that now. Mm -hmm. I've, I've had to work very hard to let myself feel that, to be yeah. okay with that. But I'm at a stage now where I can kind of say, all right, no, I work for this. I, I, I worked hard for this. I earned this. I deserve this feeling. I'm going to let myself be proud of my work and I'm going to call myself a good writer. I'm going to use mm. those words for myself. As you should. Isn't it strange how we're so unkind to ourselves, but we wouldn't be that unkind to a friend? Like if our friend said to us, oh, I've written a second book and I have so much doubt, you'd be like, you're amazing. You've written <laughs> two books. You're incredible. I'm, I'm so envious of you, but your self-talk is your imposter. Yeah. Exactly. You're terrible. You can't ever write another book again. Like, what is wrong with us? I know. It's stupid. <laughs> it's, it's, and, you, and you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's, we've got two different rule sets. Mm, we've got rules we for do. ourselves and rules for everyone else. Yeah. And it's um, funny because I've been trying to talk to myself like the way I would talk to a friend and that's why I brought it up because, you know, I yeah. suffer from anxiety, sometimes quite debilitating. And so I'm like, you know, I wouldn't treat my friend the way, you know, your anxiety mm. sort of treats you. So I've been trying to do that self-talk that, you know, I don't exactly. know. It's a work in progress, Carl, but I just try and stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, that's even just that aware awareness is therapeutic itself. It is. So the moment you become aware that, oh, hey, I've got different rules for myself, mm. that's great. You, you're stepping out onto a therapeutic journey mm. um, and there's, there's only going to be good things that come out of it. Oh, I love that. I love that a lot. Now, I see post-it notes behind you. Is this a writing <laughs> process thing? Oh, yeah. This is... Oh, yeah, this, I love it. That's what I mentioned on... That. These are the ones I showed to um, oh, Ben on that first podcast. Wow, and you've got little lights strung up. It's beautiful. Yeah, my writing pad. Is wow. Out. So is this for book three? This is for book three. It's uh, this was the This was the beginning of book three. I'm, I'm not sure if you remember, but I had a chat with Ben about these post-it notes and how I wasn't really enjoying the yes. um, plotting. <laughs> I did, I did. 
And That's uh, why I'm looking at them again, going, hmm, "What's happening here?" Yeah. Look, to be honest, I they were great to get me going, um, but uh, I definitely my forecast was right, which was that I didn't think it would last for me. I didn't, I didn't think it would work. It it got stuff going, but at the moment, I, I haven't even looked at these for a little while, not to let everyone down. But <laughs> they the, look very my, impressive behind you. I know. I mean, they, they make a great backdrop for they do, they the rowing podcast. <laughs> Look how diligent and... <laughs> and they're colour-coded. There's pink and there's yellow and yeah. there's blue and there's yeah. fairy lights. It's really they're, it's epic. They're each a separate because I still do my three point of view characters. So they're oh, each three separate characters. I love it. So, I mean, this bottom one is still in there. Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle one, not so much. In the top one, I don't know what happened to her. She might come out in book four. <laughs> <laughs> she's forgotten for now. Yeah, she's, she's off doing her breastfeeding noir and living her best life. Now, you must be really tall, Carl, because I couldn't reach the blue post-it notes up there. Yeah, no, I'm pretty. Well, I mean, I was standing on the um, couch too, though. <laughs> well, I love it. And I love what you've you done with the lights too. But I want to ask you, you know, I know you talked about the post-it notes with Ben, etc. but um, has your writing process changed from the bluffs to the deep to the one you're writing now? Is it changing or does it always come back into the same sort of rhythm? That's a great question. Um, a, bit of, a bit of both, but it's definitely, I've felt it's come back into the same rhythm this time around mm-hmm. uh, because, for example, I was writing last night and I tried so diligently to plot and I came to a section where I didn't know what was going to happen. And so what I did was what I always do, which was just go back and obsess over the opening. <laughs> that's my that's my go-to. I'm like, if I can't, if I get stuck, I'll just go make myself even more stuck on the opening. So I scrolled back to the top, started going from the, the top again. And then how I write, my natural rhythm is to do that, is to work brick by brick as I go. And so I'm writing, 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 and I get to a scene and I sense kind of in myself that I'm bored. Mm-hmm. So if I'm bored, the reader's bored. So let me just chuck in a new scene here. Let's have something scary happen. I love that. And so I chuck in this kind of scary scene, and now the whole energy of the story is diverted. Um, like it's, it's all getting swept tip. up. I love that. And so now I know that I'm like I'm steadily steamrolling towards um, the the section I'd got up to where I was stuck. And I know when I get there, I will have gathered enough momentum mm-hmm. to just know exactly what to do. I love that. So I'm stoked, like I'm, yeah, it makes the writing so much that's cool. more cool. And that scary thing that you throw in, that must be a little bit of a surprise for you too. So that's yeah. exciting. Well, because I, I mean, it was about my detective character and I, because at the, at the moment I've only got my two point of view characters going because the third one get, will get introduced later on. And I'm like, I'm spending a lot of time on this character but not my detective character. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that, that might be where I'm going wrong because as we know, the story is about story is about character more than plot. So yeah. if I've got my old mate detective on the screen, on the stage, on the screen, on the book, he needs to do something that affects his his, his character growth, and he hadn't. And so I'm like, oh well, let's just give him something to do. And I'm like, oh man, that was that was pretty wise. I'm glad I thought of that. How <laughs> <laughs> things are going pretty good. That's awesome. I love that. Mm. Now, two books in, three books, you know, third book, sort of. In progress. in progress. What defines a Kyle Perry book? Oh, mate! <laughs> Great question. Um, I will give my I'll give myself permission to to say something kind about my books. Oh, good. This is yourself to <laughs> pretend you're talking to a friend. Yes. Um, 
Oh, that's harder than I thought. Well, I mean, look, the feedback I get for a Kyle Perry book is that I can't put it down. Mm-hmm. You know, whip through the pages, um, really, yeah, it really grabs you. Love that. And, and that's what I love in a book. Everyone loves that in a book. But yeah, I, totally. I, I try really to provide that for my readers. I, I'm quite, um, it's both kind of a natural organic thing, but also quite intentional as well. I employ mm-hmm. as many kind of strategies as, as I can to keep suspense going. Um, there's definitely the, the landscape element, which um, I'm realising more and more is quite unique to my writing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's been a really interesting having a mirror um, kind of reflecting to reflect my work back to myself because when I first released The Bluffs, heaps of people asked me about the landscape element and I like, you know, I was happy to talk about it. And then The Deep came out and all the questions happened again and I realised I listen to a lot of writing podcasts. I listen to a lot. Like I listen to probably every one of your episodes. <laughs> and the question really gets asked about landscape. Mm. Like, at, like, you know, if you think about it, when was the last time an interviewer asked a writer about the landscape, use of landscape in their book? And it's quite rare. And I realised, oh, wow, landscape's significantly more important than I realised, mm. which which was good. It disjointed me for a bit. It kind of pulled me out of the process because I thought, oh, man, why am I doing this? But it's been great for my personal kind of growth to realise how important landscape is to me and therefore how it reflects in my book. So, sorry, long, long answer to your question, but definitely that, that can't put it down, want to rip through the pages of a Kyle Perry book and then the landscape being a bit of a beating heart. And then, of course, I, I like to explore the underdog and I like to talk about both working class as well as, um, you know, at the moment, the intersection of drug and alcohol, but also mental health and men's health particularly. Yeah. That's a perfect dancer. And it describes your books perfectly. <laughs> oh, thank you. I love thank that. You. love that a lot. I probably so, would have said that myself if you said what describes a cult. Oh, that's <laughs> so great. Very similar things. <laughs> Good. Uh, Kyle, since you've listened to all, you know, 400 episodes of Words and Nerds, plus, you know, <laughs> books, books, beers and burgers, burgers, books and beers, very busy. I don't know how you find time to write. <laughs> Listen to all these Me episodes. neither, Danny. Me neither. <laughs> so you should be pretty prepared for this final question, Kyle. Why do you write? Oh, you'd think I'd be prepared, but no. <laughs> no one ever is. Don't worry. <laughs> why, do, why do I write? I will give... I'll be. I'll give an honest answer. I won't try and reach for anything too philosophical because I could. I mean, we could speak oh, about. I like honest. Honest is better. Well, I mean, there's lot. I mean, there's lots that goes into it. I mean, we could talk about the philosophy of of the art form of writing and how, at the end of the day, all interaction is communication, and writing itself is the perfect epitome of communication. But for me, as a human being sitting here on this couch right now, talking to you with my cat under my arm, I cannot wait to um, go grab some dinner after this and get back to my laptop because Mm -hmm. the feeling um, when the words are flowing and the feeling when your characters are interacting on the page and interacting with each other and and that that feeling you have when you enter into a flow state, into a bit of a trance, not like a full trance, but a bit of a trance, the same as like a jogging trance, Mm -hmm. we call it the flow state. When you enter into, into that, and these things are happening almost at a three-dimensional level. It's very addictive to the body, to my, to me at least. It brings this sense of, of almost um, like magic, like you know, 
not magic as in like that feeling, but like literal magic, like things are happening. I'm not in control of things are being built that I, that I didn't intend to build. And I've no idea what's going on. I'm just kind of clinging along for the ride and, and at a physical level and at an emotional level, it's just an addictive feeling. Mm, what a great answer. I'm glad you went with the honest one. <laughs> <laughs> so I should have said, oh, for my readers. I just do it for my readers. No, my we cat. don't want any of that. <laughs> you can't. We don't want any of that stuff. I like the honest stuff. You get the best answers. Oh, Kyle, it's been such a joy to finally speak to you. Like I said, I, I've loved hearing your interview with Ben and I've loved your books for a long time. So, Thank you. Yeah, well, all of your two books, I've loved them. I know I'm going to, I'm really intrigued about this one. So, I'm looking at its post it notes. And I love your work. And I I think you know you do a great job for crime and for Australian crime so thank you so much for chatting and being so honest and candid with me it's been an absolute joy to finally get to speak to finally. myself I was a bit Thanks. jealous of Ben oh Ben, <laughs> ben gets to speak to Kyle I didn't get to speak to Kyle <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I saw um a tweet the other day that you were tagged in about someone had their bucket list of being an author which yeah. was just to be on the words of nerds podcast I'm right. like ah oh, priorities are in the right place <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of stuff blows my mind too. I'm like just hanging out in my study in my pajama pants, but cool. <laughs> Great bucket list. <laughs> you know you've made it win. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kyle. Thank you so much, Margot. And um, <laughs> we shall talk again soon. Thanks, yes. Kyle. No, thanks, Danny. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. We'd love to engage with you on social media. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Danny B Books, Words and Nerds podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.